You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is February 18th, and here's your vaccine tip of the day. If you're having trouble getting an appointment, here's what I recommend. Apply to medical school as soon as possible, study hard, then become a doctor, and then seven years from now, boom, you get to skip the line. Anyway, on tonight's show, the gritty origin story of Tucker Carlson. We dive into the debate over reopening schools, and Ted Cruz takes the world's shortest spring break. Plus, NBA superstar Russell Westbrook is joining me on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the ongoing crisis in Texas, where half a million residents were still without power today, and more than 200,000 were without clean water because treatment plants are failing and pipes are bursting. Texans have been lining up for clean water from public spigots, boiling their own, or even trying to melt snow. Yeah, melting snow for clean water. I mean, you know that the infrastructure is screwed when your best option for water is to mug a snowman. But the saddest part is that these people are the lucky ones because it turns out one poor Texan had to travel 800 miles just to get heat, water, and electricity. Senator Ted Cruz, he is now facing a whole lot of questions after he was spotted on a plane traveling to Cancun, Mexico in the midst of this unfolding crisis in his home state of Texas. If you go on social media, you will see social media users posting multiple pictures of the senator and his family in the Houston airport waiting to board their flight. Ted Cruz, no, man, you gotta be shitting me, dude. Your people are literally eating snow right now and you're jetting off to Cancun? I'm not even mad that you were selfish. I'm mad that you were so stupid. How can you be in politics for 10 years and still have no idea how bad this would make you look? What were you thinking? I know my people are freezing and hungry right now. So what they need is a photo of my beach bod. Because if they see me in a Speedo, their eyes will burst into flames and the whole family can warm their hands over those flames. I mean, look, I get that Ted Cruz is tired. You know, the man deserves a break after trying so hard to overthrow the government. But this is not the time, Ted! When your constituents said they need clean water, they didn't mean go find a wet t-shirt contest in Cancun. I mean, seeing Ted Cruz skip town for the beach has been very frustrating for the people in Texas. But on the other hand, it has been really exciting for all the people in Cancun who got to meet him on the street. Wow, bro, I didn't know that Senior Frog was a real guy. That was awesome. And what's even worse is that when he got caught, instead of owning up to it and apologizing, he acted like a total Ted Cruz. Breaking right now, an update on the reports that Texas Senator Ted Cruz took a trip to Cancun as the state was dealing with massive power outages, something that had many of you upset online. The statement from Cruz saying in part, With school canceled for the week, our girls asked to take a trip with friends wanting to be a good dad. I flew down with them last night and I'm flying back this afternoon. Oh, I see. We all got this thing wrong. Ted Cruz wasn't going on vacation, people. He was just chaperoning his girls on the flight to Cancun. So in in some way, this was like a, a reverse taken. I want you to know that I'm a man with absolutely no skills whatsoever. And I'm gonna safely accompany my daughters on this trip. 
Seriously, Ted Cruz blaming his daughters for this is just gross. Being a good father means putting them on a bus, not throwing them under one. Although to be fair, maybe Ted Cruz just doesn't know what a good dad is. I mean, his dad killed JFK. Whew. But let's move on now to the place people wish they could send Ted Cruz, Mars. It's the next frontier in space and home to a legendary pop star named Bruno. Well, now scientists are about to find out if anyone else has lived there. This morning, one giant leap toward finding out if there was life on Mars. The Mars rover Perseverance successfully touched down on the red planet. The successful landing will kick off NASA's most ambitious mission yet. The rover, after traveling 300 million miles in seven months, will touch down on an ancient lake called Yezero, a site where ancient life may have been best preserved. The most dangerous part of the mission begins when the rover enters Mars's atmosphere, a period known as the seven minutes of terror. Yes, the seven minutes of terror. And I'd be terrified too if I spent $3 billion on a Roomba. Please work, please work, please work. Best Buy won't take this back, please. But luckily, it landed safely. And now we're all getting a look at Mars, which we need because things aren't going so great here on Earth. I mean, you know shit's bad in your neighborhood when you start looking at the Zillow listings for other planets. Although if you ask me, you don't need to be digging in the dirt and analyzing soil samples to find signs of life on Mars. If you wanna know if anyone lives there, just go up there and shout, cancel culture isn't real. Someone will pop out from behind a rock like, tell that to Chris Harrison. Even if they don't find life though, this is still a huge deal to land a new rover on the red planet. And the next step for human life is to send Stacey Abrams up there to turn it blue. You can do it, Stacey. You can turn anything blue, girl. But let's move on now to our top story. COVID may not be gone yet, but our patience for it definitely is. So as the vaccine rollout continues, America is figuring out how to reopen its schools. And that heated debate is the topic of our brand new segment, Getting Back to Normal-ish. One of the bigger tragedies of the coronavirus pandemic has been the school closings that have forced nearly all American students into online classes. And it impacts everyone. Students, teachers, parents, next door neighbors who can hear your Zoom school through the wall while they're trying to record a TV show. And after nearly a year of remote learning, President Biden has made reopening schools one of his top priorities, sort of. President Biden promised to have schools reopened in his first 100 days. I think it's time for schools to reopen safely. But the White House is struggling to explain what they mean by schools being opened. The CDC rolled out its guidelines for reopening schools, much to the frustration of some stressed out parents and students who have been looking for a way back to in-person learning. The CDC guidelines focus on five strategies for in-person learning, including universal mask wearing, physical distancing, hand washing, cleaning, and contact tracing. But the CDC also recommended full in-person learning return only in places where levels of community transmission are low. The problem right now, almost 90% of American children attend schools located in high community spread areas, so-called red zones. Okay, it's good to finally have guidelines for how to open schools during a pandemic, but it's kind of discouraging that the guidelines are, try not to have a pandemic in your area. 
Because it's like, uh, yeah, that would be nice, but we want to keep going to TGI Friday. So what's your plan B? But what do we expect? Opening schools is so intertwined with a global pandemic that it's bound to be difficult. If anything, it's a lesson to not make campaign promises. Because if schools can't open in his first 100 days, what's Biden gonna do? He's gonna have to wiggle his way out of this. I meant 100 business days. Then schools will be open. Although, obviously, no one should be inside the schools, but the doors will be unlocked, just like I promised. But Joe Biden is right. Safely reopening schools needs to be a priority. And you know that things are bad when even kids are complaining that schools are still closed. All across the country, students are facing unprecedented challenges. We're all really struggling. Basically, it sucks. I miss my friends, and I feel like I'm missing out on a big part of high school. I really only got to be in person for my freshman year. In the classroom, things are comfortable and easy, but at home, things are very difficult and intense. It's kind of hard to pay attention during class when you have to be, like, in front of a screen 20, like, almost the entire day. I need a break from my mom. <laughs> I just need to go back to school. One second grader wrote this for an assignment on Martin Luther King Day. I have a dream. I want schools to open, but I can't do anything about it. Oh, that is so cute. Oh my God. But it's not the point of the assignment. D minus, read the instructions next time. I actually feel bad for these students. No child should have to spend six hours a day staring at a boring screen. That's what your 20s through your late 60s are for. But it is pretty weird to hear kids say that they wanna go back to school. And then again, this pandemic has done that to everybody. Every adult I know now is like, oh my God, I can't wait to be on an airplane again, sitting in that middle seat, squashed between two people's armpits while the flight attendant tells me that they're all out of the good crackers. Oh, I can't wait. And this is about more than just kids feeling cooped up. There's some evidence that their education is suffering and that their mental health definitely is. Kids are stressed out, they're depressed, and not to mention having them on the computer at home is incredibly disruptive for the parents who have to work. I mean, imagine presenting a sales meeting right when your kid's teacher is getting to the end of Charlotte's Web. So as you can see, uh, third quarter projections are really... Wait, she dies? So it's no surprise that many parents are saying schools should just open up no matter what. And when that doesn't happen, they're blaming the teachers. Across the country, anger from parents is boiling over. Figure it out or get off the podium. Much of their anger directed at the teachers union. Our school board has forgot who the primary benefactors and the primary reason for their existence is. And that's the 187,000 students in this county. We can talk about teachers being afraid to go to work. Are groceries workers afraid to go to work? Are doctors and nurses afraid to go to work? Yes, but they go because it's an essential service. There are some teachers who are benefiting from teaching at home, and this may be a reason they don't want to go back. Then there's the teachers that are posting on social media about going out to restaurants in other counties, yet also posting that they don't think schools are safe and don't want to go back. Go to work or quit. It's time to poop or get off the pot. It's such a shame that parents have to fight with teachers over the safety of our schools. You know, it makes you miss the days before the pandemic, when all they fought over was teaching evolution. And to all the parents out there, I know that these are unprecedented and scary times, but please don't forget, teachers are not the enemy, okay? 
Your children are the enemy. If their dumbasses didn't need to be educated, nobody would be fighting at all. So, if kids are antsy and parents are angry, why aren't teachers going back to their classrooms? Well, I mean, maybe there are some teachers who just like working from home. For one thing, it's a lot harder for a school shooter to get you over Zoom, and it definitely smells better than being in a class full of eighth graders. But most teachers want schools to reopen as much as anyone else. And they've seen the reports saying that it should be done as safely as possible. The problem is that much like nude beaches, what sounds good in theory doesn't necessarily match the reality. A recent CDC study says there's little evidence for transmission in schools where precautions are met, but some teachers unions say school systems do not have these COVID-19 precautions in place for a safe reopening. We have very old ventilation systems in our building, and as you can see, there is not one fan installed into our building right now. Just because there isn't much contribution to community transmission doesn't mean that there isn't individual risk to the teachers and staff who are working in the schools. I want to go back, but I don't want... I wa- I'm not risking my life, my family's life, the kids, not just us. CDC says states should prioritize teacher vaccinations, but should open schools even if they can't. That's a problem for some teacher groups who have been urging schools to vaccinate educators before sending them back into a classroom. Teachers are being left to run around to try to make their own appointments at pharmacies to get vaccinated, like some sort of bizarre Hunger Games situation. Yeah, teachers are out in these streets fighting for vaccines like it's the Hunger Games. And kudos to that guy, by the way, for working in a reading lesson into his interview. You know, because he's like, I feel totally disillusioned with the American dream, much like the titular character in The Great Gatsby. And I'm not gonna lie. All of this has made me a little confused about what America actually believes in when it comes to supporting a teacher. Because right now, it feels like there's mixed messages. Teachers need to carry guns so that they can keep themselves safe in schools. Could we get a vaccine so that we can be safe in the schools? Hell no, suck it up, you cowards. But more importantly, If opening schools is a priority, then America should act like it. And it should give teachers the resources and the protection that they need, not only because it'll get schools open again, but because it's the least you can do for teachers in return for them explaining to your kids how sex works. All right, when we come back, we'll find out how Tucker Carlson got that way. And Russell Westbrook is still joining me on the show. So don't go away. Need to get away from it all, but only for like four hours? Then come to Cancun, the perfect vacation spot for your half-day getaway. Grab a taxi from the airport for the whole family, then grab a moped for when you have to speed back to the airport in shame. Enjoy our beaches, nightclubs, and... Uh Uh-oh, your chief of staff is calling. And with our new Bad Optics package, you'll get same-day round-trip tickets, enough sunscreen to protect you for four minutes, and a pre-written statement saying you were always planning to be in Cancun just for breakfast. Cancun, what the f*** were you thinking? Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson. No, 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 don't tune out, don't tune out. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson, Fox News host and America's dickish stepbrother. Yesterday, Fox announced that Carlson will be an even bigger presence at the network with a podcast and a series of specials. But the question is, how did Tucker Carlson become the legend that he is today? Well, to find out, here's the first installment of our brand new segment, The Daily Showography. 
makes a legendary journalist. Gravitas, honesty, eyes so piercing they can give you a nose ring? No, it's adaptability. And no one's better at that than Tucker Carlson. Man of a thousand faces, but also somehow only one face. Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson. His father was a journalist and U.S. ambassador to the Seychelles, a popular vacation spot for people's money. His stepmom was an heiress to Swanson Frozen Foods, a heritage he still pays tribute to with his trademark frozen facial expressions. He has a brother, Buckley Swanson Peck Carlson. You don't really need to know anything about him, but how about those names, huh? Others might have tried to downplay their wealth, but downplaying was never Tucker's style. Well, I'm, like, extraordinarily loaded just from, like, money I, you know, inherited. I've never needed to work. He didn't need to work. We could be living in a world where Tucker Bronson McChad Carlson isn't on TV every night. But luckily for America, that didn't happen. After college, Tucker took his talents to journalism, rising to prominence as the liberals' favorite conservative. Everyone liked him. He seemed normal and unwhite supremacist y. Tucker Swanlake McNordstrom Carlson took that palatable conservatism to CNN and PBS, eventually becoming the perpetually bow tied co host of CNN's Crossfire. There, he helped steer cable news away from meaningful discourse and more towards people shouting talking points at each other, like a housewife's reunion. It was going great until one day when a Comedy Central extremist infiltrated the set and wrecked havoc. Your partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. Now, this is theater. I mean, it's, it's it is, obvious. No, no, it is. How old are you? 35. And you wear a bow tie. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. So... After surviving that ugly attack, Tucker made the difficult decision to move on. Desperate times called for desperate Tuckers, so the butterfly emerged from yet another cocoon and flew to MSNBC, where he was both respected and likable. Someone you could definitely trust, like Matt Lauer. You know who was pals with him back then? Rachel Maddow. It's weird to see now, like Emperor Palpatine going to brunch with Baby Yoda. Carlson's low-rated MSNBC gig didn't last long, but his personal brand only grew stronger. He was not going to rest until the world knew all 36 of his names. Having flunked out of TV twice, Tucker Seamus McDuck Carlson began rebuilding his journalism career by working with one of radio's most respected broadcasters, Bubba the Love Sponge, where he was able to channel his inner shock jock. I love women, but they're extremely primitive. If you're talking to a feminist and she's giving you, you know, well, you know, men really need to be more sensitive and just, you know, actually, you just need to be quiet and kind of do what you're told. I'm not defending underage marriage at all. I just don't think it's the same thing exactly as pulling a child from a bus stop and sexually assaulting that child. The rapist in this case has made a lifelong commitment to live and take care of the person. So I... it is a little different. Iraq is a crappy place filled with a bunch of, you know, yeah. semi-literate keep primitive very, monkeys keep... candidates. I called them our retarded cousins. She just does seem a little c***y. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you said it. I'm just agreeing with you. One thing couldn't be denied. Tucker Carlson said all that out loud on purpose, knowing other people would hear him. Plenty of people would be proud to coast on calling women the C-word, but not Tucker. In 2010, he remade himself yet again as the public intellectual behind the new website, The Daily Caller. Soon, he was ready for his most important role yet, Fox News superhero. 
Tucker Vanderpump McRib Carlson was home. And this time, he became something completely new, a man of the people. Democrats have become the party of the elite professional class, eager to lecture you about open borders, global warming from their gated communities. The most privileged people in our society shouting down at Trump's voters. Yeah. Damn you, working class Americans. You must you know, be quiet. Tucker, you went to the elite schools of this country. I did. I what did. We should focus and that's why on I know it's a scam. Major- it was the performance of a lifetime. An aristocrat who spent his entire adult life working in media, acting as if he had just crawled out of the coal mines and sat in front of a TV camera. And Carlson wasn't afraid to use his new clout to uplift the most needy among us. People who hate immigrants. Our leaders worship multiculturalism because all cultures are equal, except they're not all equal. Our civilization is superior and we need to defend it. Latin American countries are forcing demographic change on this country at a rate that American voters consistently say they don't want. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. Isn't it crowding your country the fastest way to despoil it, to, to pollute it? Tucker Swamp Thing McGruff Carlson was like a beautiful reverse Statue of Liberty, telling everyone to get their tired huddle masses out of here. But any Fox News host could hate immigrants. In fact, most of them did. So Tucker upped the ante. How precisely is diversity our strength? Do you get along better with your neighbors or your coworkers if you can't understand each other? or share no common values. White supremacy, that's the problem. This is a hoax. This may be a lot of things, this moment we're living through, but it is definitely not about black lives. And remember that when they come for you, and at this rate, they will. We have every right to fight to preserve our nation and our heritage and our culture. The skull of the African here, the area associated with submissiveness is larger than any human or any other subhuman species on planet Earth. Tucker was on fire like a cross on a black family's lawn. But as 2021 began, he was once again restless for a change. So Carlson put on yet another hat, this time made of tinfoil. Democrats rigged the election in front of all of us and nobody did anything about it. And what about this vaccine? Why are Americans being discouraged from asking simple, straightforward questions about it? Questions like, how effective are these drugs? Are they safe? And by the way, how much are the drug companies making off this stuff? The Biden's affection is totally real. It's in no way part of a slick PR campaign devised by cynical consultants determined to hide the president's senility by misdirection. (laughs) Not at all. Their love is as real as climate change. A little nuts? Well, maybe. But unlike the moon landing or a 44-year marriage, you can't fake ratings like this. And while, yes, at least one person did sue for defamation, a judge dismissed the case on the grounds that any reasonable viewer knows that even things Tucker says are facts are not actual facts. So whatever the future holds for him, one thing we know is that Tucker Severus McFly Carlson will do it with a smile. Or whatever's going on there. All right, when we come back, NBA legend Russell Westbrook tells me about his brand new documentary about one of America's most tragic moments. And we talk about the new amazing things he's doing with his foundation. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with NBA superstar and philanthropist Russell Westbrook. We talked about his foundation, his new docuseries on the Tulsa race massacre, and so much more. Russell Westbrook, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, man, I appreciate it, man. You, you are 
easily one of the most electric NBA players of all time. You're on a new team now and you're living in a new city. I would love to know two things. One, what is it like moving to a new city during COVID? And two, do you ever get used to living in new places? Well, you know, the first thing is moving during COVID has been crazy. Um, unfortunately, you know, I'll probably say my wife probably has to take more of the responsibility of getting the kids and getting everything acclimated, finding new places to stay, uh, making sure obviously we're traveling safely and making sure we're doing all the right things. And right. It, can be a little, it can be a little crazy because the kids don't make it easy, sleep schedule and getting everything <laughs> acclimated. That, that is the main, that's my main concern is making sure the kids and the family are, are doing great. And that's the most difficult part. I can kind of manage and figure it out, but right, right, right. It, the kids is the most important part. And for you, do you ever get used to just living in a new city? You know what? I, it's crazy because the last three, two years for me, has been very different in the past. I was in Oklahoma for 11 years, um, right. 11 years. And then I went to Houston for a year and then COVID hit and I went back to LA and then got traded to DC. And um, it's been very different for me um, in the past and different for kind of everybody around me because everybody that knows right. me knows I'm very, a routine type of person and kind of wants to be in the same place all the time. And uh, it's been been difficult for me uh, at times, but I'm happy that I got my family here. It makes it easy for me to transition easy and the team and the organization has been amazing and the people has been great. So DC, oh, that's, dope. Dope. that's dope, that's dope. Let's talk a little bit about that routine. The routine before you play a game is one yeah. of the most interesting parts of, of your life for me. And that is what Russell Westbrook is gonna wear before a game. You are literally a walking fashion ramp. It's like Paris Fashion Week all the time. Who is dressing you and how do you stay ahead of the trends the way you do? Because like, it's never like boring. It's never like, man, Russell Westbrook. It's like, no, no, no. He's always ahead of the curve. Well, you know, I'm dressing myself number one. Trevor, I think that's the, uh, to me, that's the most unique thing about it is that I wake up and I just go for what I feel. Fashion is something that I, you know, personally love to do and embrace the, the ability to be able to be, um, express myself through clothes. I think that's the best right, part right, of right. fashion. I wake up, I can be like, oh, I want to be, uh, I want to wear yellow, or I want to wear pink, or I want to wear green, or I want to wear baggy clothes, or I want to wear a suit. That's the best part about it, and I just go with it. I think that's that's part of what makes Russell Westbrook such an interesting character, is that like, you know, for so many athletes, we only know them in the sport. And so what, I, what I've always enjoyed about getting to know you as a person is like through the things that you do, whether it's the love of fashion, whether it's the love of your community, like you talked about Oklahoma, for instance, 11 years in Oklahoma, and what, what I appreciated was, you loved Oklahoma, Oklahoma loved you. You know, you learned about the city, you ingratiated yourself to the people, and now you've taken that a step further and you're gonna be creating a, a, a film about the story of what happened in Tulsa, the burning of Tulsa. Talk me through a little bit about that and then why you felt it was so important for you to get involved in telling that story. Yeah, man, it's, it, it's crazy because uh, being in Oklahoma, like you mentioned, for 11 years, um, so I was able to kind of connect with the people and obviously connect with the history uh, of the community. And to me, that's the most important part. And um, been able to travel to Tulsa kind of up and back through my years there. And um, I didn't know anything about the Tulsa Massacre, Black Wall Street um, until I got there. And then once right. I heard about it, um, I was in shock because I was surprised that nobody, and especially our, our African-American communities, our um, people that have Black-owned businesses don't understand mm -hmm. and didn't understand the impact that the massacre had on the, the world. And how it can, you know, change our future. Um, and instantly, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to connect with Stanley um, and be able to create, and obviously now with history, create this docu-series to be able to 
not just to show everybody what happened, but educate ourselves to be able to now in the future find ways to be able to help impact our communities, especially uh, our black owned businesses and kind of uplift them. You've definitely done that with your own foundation. My favorite foundation name, the Why Not Foundation. I love it. Cause it's just about why not, man, let's do it. It feels like Russell Westbrook. It's like, why not? Why can't we do it? Why can't we be better? Why not do these things? You, you, you've always believed in going into communities, finding youth that have been left behind, finding youth that don't have opportunities, educating them. And what you're doing now with the foundation is you're working really hard to get kids involved in tech and computer literacy, which is a slightly new direction for you. Yeah, I think the biggest part, uh, especially with the foundation, we kind of started in 2012 and I wanted to start an education and making sure our youth was educated and having books and resources. Um, and as I've gotten older and been able to kind of see uh, what's important the way that our world and our society is kind of moving, um, I want to find ways to be able to, uh, you know, enhance the foundation to find different, different avenues. And moving forward now, we've been, like you mentioned, working in tech and uh, working in workforce development, working on the mental health and mental wellness side as well. You know, foundation is, to me, it's very, very important because a lot of people can, you know, you can write a check, you can do anything and just go about yeah. your business. But if you're a kid from the inner city um, you, and you don't actually feel that impact or that inspiration, um, it doesn't really change your life. And uh, I know that personally because I, I lived it. Um, and to me, I want to make sure that I can be the voice. I can be the person that those kids, uh, our youth can look to and say, you know, he came back to our community. He helped us. He's gave us access. He gave us the ability to be able to change our, our lives and change the world we live in. So, One of the saddest stories of professional sports, and sometimes even the entertainment industry, so many black people or even people from just, you know, poorer communities get a lot of money in a little bit of time. And then a few years after their career ends, it's all gone and they're broke. And then the cycle continues and you're like, man, what happened? There was an opportunity there that is lost. Now that happens on a, on a, on a smaller level as well, just every day in communities is, you know, managing money, learning how to create money, learning how to grow money is something that not everybody is taught. You're passionate about that, and you're, you're, you're teaming up with Varo right now to work on that. Just walk me through what you're gonna be doing and, and, and why this was what you wanted to get into. Yeah, man, you know, honestly, I'm so grateful for Varo because we've, as a team internally, been trying to figure out, you know, the right partners to be able to get and understand financial literacy, understand the, the financial gap in our society, understanding the uh, systemic financial inequality that we, we face you know, today, and, and especially in the finance world, Navarro's man is unbelievable partner, um, being the, the first all digital bank with a national charter, which is important because it allows them to be able to help everybody, not just one particular area and our people, right. but it allows them to be able to help people about check checkings and give them about their savings and understand about credit card, but educate them on exactly what is happening. Because as we know, and as you mentioned, our, our underserved communities and our, our communities of color uh, have struggled with that uh, over over many, many years and that have plagued us. And to me, I want to make sure that I can be the person to step into that space um, and partner with an unbelievable partner like Varo that has the same mission in mind to help our underserved and, and help our unbanked communities. And to me, I think it's an unbelievable opportunity and um, I'm very, very excited about it, so. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I, w- I was chatting to a friend of mine about all the things that you do. You know, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, Russell Westbrook's gonna be on the few show. And he's like, oh, what are you coming on for, boss? I was like, no, he does all these things. And my friend said the funniest thing ever. He was like, wow. He's like, I thought Russell Westbrook was an asshole. He's a, he's a really dope guy. Oh my and, goodness. And I was just like, do you, ever, do you ever have that where people 
see you on the court and you've got that game face and they're like, man, you don't want to talk to Russell Westbrook, but you're like a soft guy who loves helping people. Do you ever get that? Trevor, it's crazy you mentioned. I get that um, every day. That's a, Honestly, that's the biggest challenge of my life. And, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it's honestly the biggest challenge of my life because I play the game with so much passion and aggression and want to do great. I, I want to be the best at the game. But at the same time, I want to be the best off the floor and helping as many right, people right, as right. possible. And being impactful, I don't want to just talk about it and say, oh, doing this, doing that. But I want to be the one to change uh, our world in many directions that we've talked right. about in finances and education, mental health, workforce development. I want to put my hands in everything. There's nothing that I feel like I can't do. Um, and that's where obviously the why not mentality comes from. But every day it's a challenge, man, for me to be able to <laughs> change, that, change the narrative. Like, listen, hey, guys, I'm a human being. I'm normal. I want to help. I want to do the right thing. And, you know, to me, my, my main job, Trevor, honestly, just to make sure that I stay humble and understanding that I've been gifted with this platform uh, to be able to give back to many people as possible. Um, and I'm going to find ways to be able to do that with every avenue that I can. As long as um, God is blessing me with this opportunity, I'm going to make sure that I continue to help and impact as many people as possible. That's why, my friend, you are an MVP both on and off the court. I appreciate you taking the time. Russell Westbrook, take care of yourself, my friend. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. For more information on the Russell Westbrook Why Not Foundation, please check out the website below. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please, people, you know this. And if you don't, I'm going to say it again. Texas needs all the help they can get right now. The blackout isn't just causing power and heating failures. It's literally causing food insecurity all over the state. Now, one organization is on the ground in Houston, and they're called the Houston Food Bank. Right? They're leading hunger relief in 18 Southeast Texas counties. So if you can help them out, please donate whatever you can at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, when times are at their darkest and you only see one set of footprints in the sand, those were Ted Cruz's, because he's in Cancun. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.